welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 um, through 47. When we left off last week, uh, we saw the new covenant community uh, being formed as God sent his spirit at Pentecost. And, and what's happening there is, uh, I think, uh, the disciples' question is being answered. Remember before the ascension, the disciples have this question. They say, when will Israel be restored? And I think when we get to Pentecost, we're starting to see that. We're starting to see that, that the true people of God, Israel, is beginning to be restored as people come to faith in Jesus Christ and God forms his new covenantal people. And so what do I mean by the new Israel is being formed? We have to allow some grace because there are different views and all still fall under orthodoxy, which means they don't put you outside of the Christian faith, that have different thoughts of the role of Israel, ethnic Israel, the actual land of Israel, and how all that works out in the end. But for our sake this morning and with this text in front of us, uh, when I say that, I mean uh, the way the New Testament writers sometimes use Israel, that the, uh, they talk about the church being the, the Israel of God, the true remnant of God, the people of God, the faithful remnant, those who trust in the Lord by faith. In fact, the Bible says that all, not all ethnic Israel is Israel, but those who trust in the Lord. And so what we're seeing here is Israel, the people of God, being restored as God is bringing people in, not just ethnic Israel, but even Gentiles will see will start to come into the people of God. As Romans describes, they will be grafted in. So bottom line, God is forming his people. And so this means the church is God's plan for us to experience community and for the world to be reached. And that's what we're going to see this morning, uh, that those beginning stages of there as, as God forms his people and God forms his people, he forms a community. Because, because here's the deal, uh, while Christianity is personal, that we're all called to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, you don't just become a Christian by walking in the church doors, but by you submitting your life to Christ and God raising you to life. And while Christianity is personal, it's never individualistic. We are called into community. And so that's one of the big things that we'll see this morning, is God is forming his community. Another thing that we will see is that this community community is vibrant. So we're going to see where does this vibrancy come from? And we'll also see that this is a growing community. We know that healthy things grow. And so when we see this vibrant community that we'll talk about here in a moment, we're going to see that there is a growing community. Now let me say a word about that before we kind of dig in. There's no shortage of thoughts and books and resources on church growth. In fact, you get those questions answered a lot, especially when you're around other pastors. What are your numbers? Is your church growing? And this can be hard to answer at times, uh, but what they're asking, they're asking particular questions about numbers. What are your numbers? And while numbers aren't bad and numbers could be a sign of healthy growth because healthy things grow, you know, sometimes we get obsessed with those things. We get obsessed with numbers and when we should be obsessed with awe and devotion to what God has called us to do. And so we ask the question sometimes, at least some pastors do, and maybe you think of this sometimes, is there some sort of cheat code to growth? 
We might ask this individually. Is there some sort of cheat code? Uh, did anybody like play Nintendo growing up and you would get this Nintendo magazine and there's all, all these cheat codes? Like if you hit up and down, A, B, left, right, select, start, all of a sudden you can like beat Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson punch out. Like a few of you here, a couple of millennials know what I'm talking about. But there's like these cheat codes or um, you would buy the game genie and just bypass all of that and just unlock all of the gene co- cheat codes. And so sometimes we wonder that our own spiritual vibrancy, is there some sort of shortcut? Is there some sort of cheat, cro- cheat code for even church growth for the community of God to grow? Perhaps, you know, I've thought about it like this. Today we have GMO, genetically modified crops, and then whether or not those are bad for you or not, uh, there's some sort of you know, genetic cheat code so that disease and rot don't take over the crop so that the crops will grow in a more healthy and a more consistent manner. So is there some sort of GMO way to genetically modify the church or some sort of cheat code that we can uncover for quick, easy, spiritual growth, personal, as well as growth of the community of God, the true Israel of God? Are there just good marketing strategies or strategic initiatives? All of those are good. But what we see when God forms his people, he tells us exactly where vibrancy comes from. He tells us exactly how growth will come. And what we see in this short passage, which is such a key passage for the, the church today, we see a few things. We see what the church does, what kind of activities they're involved in. We see even how the people of God feel. We're going to see the essence of the people of God. So what they do, how they feel, and who they become as a result of that. And we will see at the end that God gives the growth. And so the first thing that I want us to see this morning, there is no cheat code. There is no genetically modifying. We see what the church is called to do. That's my point to you this morning. So let's go ahead and take a look. What did they do? Second, I mean, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let's read this again, and you can follow along in your Bible if you have one in front of me, in front of you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is what the early church did. These were the activities of the early church. There was no cheat code. There were just these four things that we find the early church devotes themselves to. The first thing that we see there, it breaks down very easily, doesn't it? This is a, if you're ever preaching your first sermon, this could be a place to go because it breaks down so cleanly. The first, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, for those that involve the apostles' teaching as the scripture was still being written at that time, But we know now that we have the closed canon. We have the 66 books of the Bible, and they are sufficient for all of life and godliness. They are our authority, our standard, and they are sufficient for everything. And so today, we are a people who devote ourselves to the Bible. This is why our small groups talk about the Bible. This is why we preach from the Bible. This is why we pray from the Bible. This is why our Sunday school classes study the Bible. Bible, our precepts classes study the Bible, that we are kind of devoted and obsessed with studying the Bible because we believe that this is how we grow as Christians, and this is how we grow as a church. The church, then, is a fellowship where together, yes, individually we read the Bible, but together we devote ourselves together 
to loving, reading, studying, and obey the Bible. We don't only just believe and trust, we believe and we trust what the Bible says, not what we want it to say. You follow with me there? We, we, we don't trust and believe just what the, what the Bible says, not what we want it to say, wish it would say, or hope it would say. Listen to what Peter says. Remember, Peter is the one who preached the sermon at Pentecost. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, particularly in verse 21, but I'll start a few verses above that. He says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Talking about the voice of the Lord over Christ at baptism, verse 18. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were, the, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, the apostles' teaching, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so this tells us, as we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, that we can't treat Scripture as though its meaning is whatever someone thinks it means. Interpretation of Scripture dare not be a matter of personal whim, because Peter says no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. In a word, the reason we may not fill the words of Scripture with our own ideas is that God intends that they carry His ideas. The meaning of Scripture is not like putty in our hands that we can mold to our own desires. This is the Spirit-inspired Word of God. And if this is a spirit-filled church, as we saw at Pentecost, then we must be a people of the word, for this word is the spirit-inspired word of God as it was recorded by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you want the help of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be a spirit-filled believer and a spirit-filled person, the Bible tells us there is no secret. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, the spirit-inspired word. But there's more. Not only did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, it says here that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, the Spirit-enabled fellowship. Together, this early church knew that they had a common identity. Now, this can be a bit tricky as, as to how that is sought and lived out because oftentimes churches talk about common identities and we start to emphasize how can we corral similar people into similar classes, but that's not what's going on here. They, they just weren't enjoying fellowship because they were of the same age or the same stage of life or enjoyed the same things and kind of went through were the same, you know, affiliations or enjoyed the same things or went to the same schools or lived in the same neighborhood. It wasn't those types of things that brought them together. They were brought together by the awe and joy of a common identity in Christ. The fellowship that they enjoyed was the fellowship of Jesus. 
This was their common identity. This was their common relationship. And in a moment, we will see how this relationship informed their responsibility for one another. But for now, I want us to see that we are brought together. If you want to thrive as a Christian, fellow with, fellowship with other blood-bought people of Christ. And you start to realize you are saved too. You are bought too. We share a common identity that is even deeper than common interest. We have a common Savior. And so they enjoyed fellowship. They enjoyed the apostles' teaching. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, It's grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in a community with Christians, with Christian brothers and sisters. So we can go ahead and start thinking of application here. Do we look at one another, this fellowship that we have on Sunday morning, the time you're in small group or Sunday school, wherever you might be, even here after the service this morning, and do we say, oh, what grace. There are other people in this community who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Oh, what rich fellowship we have. The apostles' teaching fellowship. The Bible also says not only that they devote themselves to apostles teaching fellowship, but they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So the spirit inspired word, the spirit enabled fellowship and the breaking of bread, the spirit present meal. Now, the breaking of the bread may or may not be the Lord's Supper. I think that's probably in mind here. That they're talking about the particular time where they celebrate the Lord's Supper together as they would commonly do. But this is even talking about fellowship around the table. This is even talking about, as we will see, fellowship in homes. This means this is something they did intentionally. This is something they did often. And we know that meals bring relationships to a different level. And so what they devoted themselves to is the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to spirit-enabled fellowship. They devoted themselves to the spirit-present meals as they celebrated the Lord's table together, as they celebrated in homes together and enjoyed meals together. And so that makes you start to think, start to think of application too. Uh, perhaps my vibrancy and my growth as, as a Christian might be dependent upon sharing a meal with somebody, getting close to somebody, inviting somebody, going out to eat with somebody, Don't underestimate those simple things that the Lord has for his church. Devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And listen, what else? Paul, I mean, uh, Luke has already said this in Acts chapter 1. As they wait for the Holy Spirit, as they wait for Pentecost, they devoted themselves to prayer. And here again, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The Spirit filled, spirit-groaning prayers, the prayers. So there were specific times and specific prayers that these early Christians, that these first Christians devoted themselves to. I think for many, this is where it gets difficult. We long to be healthy as Christians. We long to be healthy as a church and to be vibrant and growing in other ways. But I think sometimes we ask the question, or at least they don't ask it out loud because we'd be embarrassed if we asked it out loud. Does prayer really make a difference? Is that really going to make a difference? Is, is, is really getting on our knees together 
and voicing our prayers and petitions to the Lord, is that really going to make a difference? So a writer named Paul Miller said there are multiple routes to prayerlessness. I think this is so crucial. A lot of times we, we can get the apostles, we love studying the Bible. Fellowship we, we enjoy, we can get to see that the Lord's table, um, fellowship, the, the breaking of bread together, but the prayers. There are multiple routes, Paul Miller says, to prayerlessness. One, he says, unbelief, a functional atheism of our public culture, gets in our blood. Another route to prayerlessness I've never thought about this one before. This one really challenged me. Not only unbelief, but materialism. Money does what prayer does, but lets you remain in control. I've been chewing on that one a lot. If we can just put some resources to it, then we can kind of control our lives, control our outcomes, control a few things. If we can just put money towards it, as our world says in materialism, perhaps that's a root cause to prayerlessness. Unbelief, materialism, cynicism, he says. What good does prayer do? But we know, as the early church points out, that without prayer, ministry withers. Here's what another writer says. I'm going to give you a few examples and a few quotes here. Edith Schaefer, you may know of uh, 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 her husband. Uh, Francis Schaefer was a theologian uh, back in the day. Uh, Edith Schaefer said, Common sense Christian living takes place in an atmosphere where prayer is as natural as breathing, as necessary as oxygen, as real as talking to your favorite person with whom there is no strain as sensible as reaching into the bag of flour for the proper supplies for making bread. She goes on to say, to live without prayer being woven into every part of every day is stupid, foolish, senseless, or is evident that your belief in the existence of the Creator who has said we are to call upon Him is as unsure as unbelief. We often wonder why our lives may not be growing or the vibrancy that we see when we come to church. Perhaps we're not devoted as we should be, to prayer. John Piper says, would we say that God does not love for the world, does not love the world, or that he's hesitant to gather the harvest? Yet Jesus says, pray. Mission, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He says, why must the owner of the farm be implored by his farm hands to send out more laborers? And he says this, because there is one thing God loves to do more than bless the world. He loves to bless the world in answer to prayer. A.C. Dixon said, when we depend upon our organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. Forget all of them. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in prayer, we confess our dependency upon him. In prayer, we confess, Lord, we want what you can do. So we pray to the Lord to send out laborers into the harvest. 
This is what the early church did. They devoted themselves. That word devoted means they were steadfast. They were faithful in all of these things. They were loyal, intentional, habitual, unwavering. This was their daily and weekly grind. If you wanted to know what an early Christian was all about, what their daily, weekly grind was about, it revolved around those four things. They were devoted to the Bible. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to prayer. No cheat code, no genetically modifying. That was the early church. Now, what did they feel? That's the second thing that I want you to see this morning. So we got kind of those big things uh, unpacked there, didn't we? That we see what they did, but how did they feel? Because I want you to notice something about this. That as they go about this daily and weekly grind of these four elements, they weren't monotonous. They weren't dreaded. Neither were they routine or lifeless. Their devotion was, an empty, was not an empty devotion nor a legalistic devotion. Hear what it says. Let's go ahead and read that they devoted themselves to this thing. Look at verse 43. And awe, awe, fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, the daily grinds, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with, you see it, glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did, did, you, did you feel what they were feeling? They, they felt the community that you experience as a believer as you live together. They had all things in common. Imagine experiencing a community like that. I'd imagine you feel loved and cared for and part of the people of God. So they, they, they felt like they had to play a place because they, they knew they had a place for they were loved and cared for. Did you notice else what it says there that they were glad? Even when they ate, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Even when they ate, their praise to God was rolled up and their eyes were lifted to the heavens as they tasted, as they fellowshiped, as they ate each bite with a brother or sister sitting across from them, they were saying, thank you, Jesus. Praise Jesus, for he has made me glad. I don't know about you, but a community like that would be pretty compelling to the world. In fact, even Jesus said that a community like that would let the world know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. They felt community. They felt this gladness. And the Bible, perhaps even uh, more foundational, was that they were awestruck, that awe came upon every soul. They felt this holy reverence, this fear, this seriousness was about them. And also there was this humility about them. They thought, as we say in many hymns, amazing love, how can this be? that God has called us into this community and we are experiencing life like this with fellow 
brothers and sisters who are also redeemed. Can you imagine? That's it. That's it. That's what they did. That's what they felt. And notice who they were. So, So that's the activities that they were kind of taking part in, how they felt about those things in that spirit-filled community, but also was who they were, their essence. In the beginning, we made sure to note that these folks were believers. They, were, they received the Holy Spirit. This not only changed what they did, what they felt, but who they are. Did, did you notice the practical expressions of a community like this? A community who was feeling this way, experiencing what they were experiencing. Did you notice their essence? They were a generous people. They had glad and generous hearts. In fact, we see that this community was uncomfortably generous. Radically generous. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now the American in us said, that's communism. That's socialism. We will not do that. No, that's radical generosity. This was not being forced on them by the government. These were people who had experienced the generosity of Jesus Christ, who while they're yet sinners, Christ died for them. And they experienced the generosity of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that even affect the way that they treated one another and their generosity towards one another. And they wanted other people to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, so they were generous with one another so that they would not just people who spoke the word but experienced the word in their daily lives. They cared for one another with generous hearts. Notice a couple other things about who they were. They were generous people, these awestruck, glad, community, Bible-centered, fellowship, breaking bread, praying people. They were generous, and they were responsible for one another. You often heard me have said this before. Uh, Maybe you'll just hear it for the first time. Needs plus awareness equals responsibility. Need plus awareness equals responsibility. That's something you'll particularly experience in small groups and, and Sunday school groups here. Because when you fellowship closely with one another, people know your need. They're aware of your need, and they are now responsible for your need. People in this early church were living so closely in fellowship with one another. They were so together in every part of their life that they recognized the need that each one of them had and they took responsibility for one another. These generous people were responsible for one another and these generous people were faithful and dependable. Day by day, they gathered together. Day by day, they went to the temple together. Daily, they were not just about, they were about the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. But daily, they were about generosity and responsible, being faithful and dependable. They met in large groups at the temple. They met in small groups in homes, all the while being faithful and dependable, showing responsibility and generosity to one Another. I'm not sure about you, but I think that would be a pretty compelling community that I would want to be a part of. Do you think in a dark world that might shine as lights? I think so. They were hospitable even. That's also who they were. They shared meals not just at church, but in their homes and not just in the temple. Perhaps most significantly, not only these people were generous, 
and dependable and faithful and responsible and, and hospitable. At the core of this, these people were worshipers. Do you see what it says there? In all of these things, verse 46, day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. Look at verse 47, praising God. In all of this, their eyes were lifted to the Lord and had them singing his praises. At the core of who they were, at the core of their essence, is that these folks were worshipers. In fact, John Piper says that missions exist because worship does not. We are designed to be worshipers of God, and they are worshipers of God. And other folks in the community were not yet worshipers of God, but you see that as their praise is rolling up to God, as they worship God, what does it say? They had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's almost as if Jesus was right when he said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They were experiencing this day by day. They were worshipers. And these worshipers had a burden, as we saw, for each other and also for outsiders. I want you to listen to this. I came across this in a commentary this week. It was written in A.D. 125 by a man named Aristides, and he wrote this to a Roman emperor. And the question was, why is Christianity growing as it is? And here's what Aristides wrote in A.D. 125, very shortly after what we read about in Acts. He says, Further, if one of these Christians have a bondman or a bondwoman or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Oh, we should be a cheerful people, huh? Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. They deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly, and he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the Spirit and in God. Sound familiar? And whenever, and whenever one of the poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial." If they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of the Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. If there is among them any that is poor and needy, if they have no spare food, they fast for two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah, Messiah with much care, fear, and awe. They lived justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour, they give thanks and praise to God for his loving kindness toward them. And for their food and their drink, they offer thanksgiving to him. And if any righteous man among them passes from the world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body as if he were setting out from one place to another. 
And when a child has been born to one of them, they give thanks to God. If moreover it happened to die in childhood, they give thanks to God the more as the one who has passed through this world without sins. And further, if they see that any of them dies in his ungodliness or in his sins, for him they grieve bitterly and sorrow as for one who goes to meet his doom. Such, O king, is the commandment of the law of Christians, and such is their manner of life. This is how the early Christians lived, and listen to what God did as these worshipers in awe, I think that's core, worshipers devoting themselves to these things and who they are and what they do, and even God producing this feeling of generosity and gladness and thanksgiving among them, Listen to what the Lord did in their midst. He gave them favor with the people. And the Lord of the harvest continues his harvest and added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Don't you long for God to do that in our midst, even this day, even this hour. They didn't live in an easy world. They lived in a world that was opposed to the gospel. They lived in a world that was hostile. They lived even in a world of, as we'll see, Pauls who were killing Christians for believing these things. But with dogged devotion, they committed themselves to these things, knowing that if anything happened, faithfulness is the mark of success, and God will bring the fruit that he sees fit. There's no need to short-circuit the system Manipulate the circumstances of growth. God gives the growth, and he does through, so through doggedly devoted, faithful disciples of Christ who beseech him in prayer. So let me ask you this. So what? So what? I'll just simply ask you this by way of response. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where do you find yourself struggling in those things? Is, is it the, the daily four of... Apostles teaching the Bible, fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers. Is that something that, man, I, I need to get connected somehow with other people? Need to be better about praying with other people or on my own? Maybe it's the feeling. Maybe you're overwhelmed right now because you're like, man, I, I just don't feel it. I don't feel that gladness and that awe, and I, I long for that. That's, that's something that's, that's given by the, by the Spirit of God. Maybe, maybe the response for you today is, now, I'm, I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep praising. I'm going to keep devoting myself to this, and, and God will fan in the flame those desires once again. Maybe your prayer to the Lord this morning, God, give me a glad heart Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe it's who you are. You believe these things, you feel these things, but you're not acting on these things. A responsibility to one another, generosity, hospitality, um, uh, fellowship, worship, uh, whatever it may be. Maybe you find that in your life uh, you're devoted to things other than to the worship of God above all else. Maybe you've gotten tired of looking for what God is doing. You just assume that God isn't going to do any more in you or through you or among us, that we've stopped looking to see if God might save people in our midst and add to our number. And we've stopped trusting that God is not done. Our doors are still open. Perhaps there are still some in this community that will come to faith in Jesus Christ as we pray the Lord to send us out into the harvest. Where are you at in all that? 
maybe multiple places. Let's make those things known to the Lord. Let's pray.